Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. All right, uh, this, uh, uh, it, was, it was Yom Kippur, by the way, uh, on Thursday. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not as well prepared as, as I might be. I just sort of still recovering. Um, so what I, uh, what I want to do, uh, uh, given, given the, uh, the quick turnaround here, is mostly to just read you uh, one of the most Im- important pieces of Torah, one of the m- most important texts I've ever come across. Um, uh, but I, but I want to, uh, let me just set it up a, a little bit. Um, over the high holidays, at one point, um, I said uh, I was introducing one of the, mo- the one of the most challenging prayers in our machzor, Unatane Tokef, which speaks of God deciding who lives and who dies. And you know, it's it's a very uh, it's a very terrifying idea, very uncomfortable um, theology. And so I said it's important to remember that this book, this prayer book, the machzor or the sidur. Um, is not a book of theology, it's a book of poetry. It's a book of poetry. And this, 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 this poem, then, is, is, is the poetry of terror. And, and, and that's true, and I, and I stand by that. But I, I want to I just follow up and, and quickly uh, correct any, any pe- possible uh, misunderstandings or misimpressions that, I'm, that I might have made. Um, because I, I don't mean, when I say that uh, the Sidur is a book of poetry, I, I don't mean to say that it's just poetry. Don't worry about it. No, you, don't have to, you don't have to believe in this stuff. It's just poetry, just, just beautiful words. Don't worry about it. That's not, that's not what I meant to say. And I also um, don't want to leave the impression that poetry and theology are two entirely separate realms. Because in fact, poetry, I believe, has a great deal to do with our theology. This is a good, this is a good week to talk about poetry. We're reading this, this poor little, poor little Parshat Hazinu um, gets lost in the shuffle here between all the, the holidays, Parshat Hazinu, but it is a beautiful Parsha, and it is almost entirely in verse. Um, in poetry, if you, if you flipped through it, chapter 32, you'll see that it is very clearly a poem, and, um, and, it's, and it's some of the most beautiful poetry in, in, in the Hebrew Bible. Just to, here's just a snippet. He found him in a, in a desert land, in chaos, a howling wasteland. He circled around them. He built them up, guarded them like the pupil of his eye. It's beautiful stuff, and it is, um, it is a kind of a swan song. It's, it's Moses' last poem. In, in fact, it's sometimes called Shirat Moshe, the song uh, or the poem of Moses. Um, we, it's, it, we, we've had little poetic asides throughout the Torah here and there, but the first major epic poem of the Torah is the, is the song of the sea, Shirat Hayam, and, uh, and that already tells us something. Now, that's the other big block where if you look at the Torah, even in the scroll, you'll see that it's written like, like verse. Um, and that, that already tells us something. There's something about about poetry and song. And by the way, the word for song and the word for poetry is the same in Hebrew, shira. Right? Um, that, there she is. Um, and, 
Uh, and that tells you that there's something about poetry that is meant to be a response to the miraculous. Right? The first major block of poetry is when the, when the Red Sea parted and they walked through and they couldn't help themselves. They just burst out into song, into poetry. But this, this is the other major block, major epic poem in the Torah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's Moses' great, great farewell. Moses is preparing to die. He knows that his death is approaching. And th this is, he's been talking now throughout Deuteronomy, but he's been speaking in prose. And this is his last will and testament. And it comes in the form of a, of a poem, his great opening. Hazinu give, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. OK. So, um, so why, though, I guess is the question. Why does Moses suddenly give us a, a poem? He hasn't, he hasn't been speaking in, in poetry this entire time. Why does the Torah, in a sense, end with poetry? Well, actually, the reason for, th for the poem, for the writing of this poem, was given explicitly in last week's Parsha, and it's God who wanted it done in the first place. Um, in last week's Parsha, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, um, it says, And now, write down this poem, and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, and in order that this poem will be my witness for the people of Israel. God's suddenly telling Moses to write, write a poem, write down a poem. And uh, most of the commentators, Rashi and the Ramban and others, understand this poem. What is this poem that God's talking about? It must be the next, cha the next chapter. It must be the upcoming Hazinu poem, this week's Parsha. And in, you know, in fact, it's, it seems like that's what God tells Moses to write the poem. Moses writes it. That, that makes sense. But there is another interpretation of this, of this verse where God is telling Moses to write down this poem. Um, the Talmud in, uh, in Masechet Nadarim reads, now write down this poem as referring to the whole Torah. Now write down the Torah. The whole Torah is, 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 is being referred to as a poem. Now, that's a, that's a sort of a strange claim, and there's some debate, but they, they bring a proof from the end of the verse. The end of the verse says, in order that this poem will be my witness, and that seems to settle it. The Torah is sometimes referred to as a dut, a testimony, a, a testament to, a witness to. So it, that, that interpretation, I guess, makes sense of that part of the verse. Um, the Torah acts as God's eternal witness, testifies to the, to the revelation, to God's will. But then it leaves us with another big question, which is, how, what, is it, what, what does it mean to call the Torah, the whole Torah, a poem? Okay? And, um, and here, I, 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 I'm going to step aside and, and let the great 19th century commentator, um, the Nitziv, Rabbi Panitz quoted the Nitziv. Uh, the Nitziv is, and you, you have these, uh, hopefully uh, uh, these sheets were handed out. The Nitziv is, is uh, an acronym for Rev, uh, Natali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. Was one of the last great heads of 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 uh, the yeshivot in 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 the great yeshivot in in uh, in Europe, the Velazhin yeshiva. We refer to him as the Nitziv, and this is his introduction to his uh, to his commentary on the Torah. And he's responding to this this piece of Talmud that says the whole Torah is a poem. Very lovely idea, but he says we still have to understand though how 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 the whole Torah could be called a poem. Because surely it is not written in the language of poetry. Okay, the fact that we recognize Hazinu as a poem means the rest wasn't poetry, right? 
Rather, he says, it's not that the whole Torah is written in verse, but the answer is that the Torah has in it the nature and the richness of poetry. What does he mean by that? And, and here, here his, I think things get really interesting. For the Torah speaks in an indirect language, militza. Militza is hard to translate, but it's like an enigmatic, sort of lofty, but sort of mis oblique language, an, an, an indirect language, almost like through a veil. And it is well known to anyone who has studied it that this kind of indirect language is very different from the language of prose. How so? For in a poem, the idea is not fully explained the way it is in prose. And so, this is a, an incredible phrase, one has to analyze it from the side. And here I think he's being a little poetic because it, it could mean ma making little notes in the margins. One has to make little observations and write them down on the side. But I think he also means to say you have to come at it sideways. You have to kind of look at it sideways. And so one has to analyze a poem from the side, saying that one rhyme, one rhyme means this and another rhyme means that. And this is not just creative interpretation, drush. This isn't just the rabbis having fun. This isn't just the interpreters of poetry having fun. That is simply the nature of poetry, even the most basic poetry. This is the nature of the whole Torah as well, whose stories are not fully explained. Rather, one has to make insights and explanations based on the intricacies of the language. And again, this is not just drush. This is not just creative interpretation. On the contrary, this is the most basic way to understand the verses. And then he, and then, so that's the nature of poetry and the nature of Torah. And then he adds, and there's also a, a unique kind of richness to poetry. In poetry, there's also a richness that comes from it having been adorned with all kinds of hints in a way that isn't done with prose. Like, for example, the custom of using, this is classic Hebrew poetry technique, using the first letter of each line to spell out the, the alphabet or to write out the poet's name. Okay, so somehow in the structure of the poem, embedded in the poem, there's a kind of a, a, a second layer of reading, a code, a hint to you to tell you something else that isn't obvious from the straight reading. There's a richness that is special to this indirect language and not to prose. So it is exactly with the whole of the Torah, all of it. Aside from the most basic, simple reading, there is in every word, or there are in every word, many secrets and hidden ideas. And here, here's, here's the real, the, the punchline. Because of this, there are many instances when the language of the Torah is not to be read literally. And all of this is not true for the holy Torah alone, but with all of sacred scripture. Okay, and here, here we're back in theology. We're talking about poetry, but we're saying, we're entering into a great theological debate. It's one that I, I heard a lot in my, in my yeshiva days. It's one that, uh, a question that gets sort of bandied about in the great kind of Jewish conversation. And on one side, you have fundamentalists who insist that every single word of the Torah is literally true and you have to believe it or else you are a heretic. And on the other hand, you have the kind of historical, uh, critical approach to the Torah, which again says, this didn't happen. That's not true. I can prove. That doesn't make sense. This contradicts this. And both of those schools are wrestling with the question of whether we can, can we possibly take the Torah literally 
to be literally true. Is the, and people ask me this sometimes, Rabbi, do you really believe that the Torah is literally true? And I want to just say, that is the wrong question. You know? Will, you know, uh, think, about it, think about it with another poem. I was thinking about William Carlos Williams has this famous poem, The Red Wheelbarrow. Right? So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's it. Now, was the red wheelbarrow really standing beside the white chickens? Did he just make up the red wheelbarrow? Or was there a red wheelbarrow? Well, that's not the right question. And what about, what about so much depends on, does so much depend on a red wheelbarrow? Does it, does that, is that really true? If someone asked that of the poem, you would have to say they were missing the point. That's not the kind of truth that, the, that poetry communicates. So do I believe that the entire Torah is literally true? No. It's truer than that. It's much truer than that. How do you describe the wonder of creation, the fact that there is a world at all? You need poetry for that. How do you describe a great liberation? How do you describe the struggle for human dignity? You need poetry for that. How do you describe an encounter with God at Mount Sinai? How do you do that? You have to come at it sideways. You need poetry for that. And did God really come down upon the mountain? And is that mountain really there in the desert? You missed the point. You missed the point. Poetry is meant to communicate a deeper truth than po prose possibly can. How will we describe what we've been through the past couple of years? How do we describe this experience, this, this COVID era? I've seen a lot, of, a lot of prose, a lot of articles, but they all seem to be missing something. I don't think we've captured it yet. I, I, I think we need poetry to account for our experience. How do we describe our experience of, of hatred and violence and trauma that's plagued this country and this world for the, for the for last decade? We need poetry for that. How do we describe the, the urgency of the, of the coming climate crisis? With graphs and charts and statistics and numbers? I don't think that captures it. It doesn't seem to be working. We need poetry for that. We need poetry to account for the meaning of our lives and for the fear and terror and the weight of death that surrounds us. We need poetry for that. And so I, I guess I, I just want to leave you with that. I just want to bless us with a, with a year of poetry, with a year, uh, with a year of Torah, with a year of, of searching for the truths that are, that are too deep for, for language to capture, unless we come at it from the side. So let's, uh, let's, try to, let's try to look at things this year from the side, from a different perspective. Let's try to, to, to enter this new year with a poetic sensibility, I, I, with, a, with a Torah sensibility. I think we're going to need it. Shabbat shalom. Hi, it's Mayim Bialik, actor, neuroscientist, Ikar member, and lover of all things Jewish. Do you like what you're listening to? Please consider donating to Ikar so that we can continue creating more podcasts and fulfilling our mission of harnessing untapped energy in the Jewish community.
to reanimate Jewish life, embody moral courage, nurture the spirit, and work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Why don't you visit our website at ecard-la.org and give today.